I admire your courage, Miss... Uh... Trench. Sylvia Trench. I admire your luck, Mr... Bond. James Bond. Mr. Bond, I suppose you wouldn't care to, um, raise the limit? Hello, and welcome to episode 177 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the license to kill. This week we're going to be talking about Dr. No on your Shaken, Not Stirred podcast. Da 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 da. I mean, presumably you da, at least da, know the James da, Bond da. theme, yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, I was actually very pleasantly surprised that it was just like so in your face on this. <laughs> it is a little in your face, isn't it? Um, and I actually, one of my first thoughts was, did this start with a movie or was there a TV show first? And like the the theme song, mm-hmm. a Mission Impossible type thing. Or like a Star Trek kind yeah, of yeah. thing, right? Because I thought, like, the Star Trek song is so iconic to me mm. that I thought it had carried mm-hmm. all the way through, and it didn't. Like, I was shocked to find out it's not there. Right. For this is, this is one of those films. But it was there. Like, like a, a sound podcast could do a really good series of episodes on just this film of all the different ways they do the theme. Like, sometimes it's big and brassy and in your face. Ba-da, ba-da, ba-da. Sometimes it's little sort of do-do, mm-hmm. you know, little background stuff. Sometimes it's just a piano mm-hmm. piece. But it is yeah. also, like, basically the same few notes over and over again at every moment they It can. is. But it is so recognizably iconic mm. to be James Bond. And... For it to have come out of the first movie. Right, yeah. Is pretty fantastic. Yeah. D- did you ever see Triple X with Vin Diesel? No. Okay. Uh, it was kind of them making a new sort of spy thing. It's a bit James Bond, a bit Mission Impossible, that kind of thing. Um, oh, I didn't know that. And, and what it was basically missing was a theme, a recognisable theme. There's a great moment where he steals a motorbike and drives it out of a ramp up a barn that explodes <laughs> behind him and all this. And you really do need some sort of ba ba or like the, you know, mm-hmm. the Mission Impossible beats, those sort of really recognisable moments of triumph because they didn't like have Indiana that. Indiana Jones. Yeah, it was. Yes, Indiana Jones. Absolutely. It was just missing. <laughs> so it made the film oh. feel a bit incomplete. Oh, bummer. Yeah, but, you know, you've got to start a franchise somewhere. Hey, Dr. No, Dr. Number. Dr. No. Did you like it? I didn't hate it. Mm, I thought I was going to That doesn't mean it. anything. <laughs> it means I didn't hate it. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. In almost every conceivable way, I thought it was going to be bad. Okay. I was primed for this, like... Horribly, horribly, offensively misogynistic movie, and that's not what we got. Right, let's get into that then. Why were you primed for that? Because it's James Bond, and that's what everybody knows James Bond is. Okay. that. I mean, there's there's quotes. Daniel Craig has even said that about mm-hmm. James Bond. Like, I was read, like, I was actually, I Googled at some point today, Dr. No, James Bond, gender politics. <laughs> and, oh my God, there's a lot of stuff out there about that. Um, but almost every actor who's played James Bond has mentioned it, used the word misogynistic, mm-hmm. in fact. And so my expectation was just like really, really high that this was going to be awful. Right. I mean, like the Bond girl is a trope. Yep. Yep. But it wasn't as bad as I was expecting it to be. Maybe, maybe because my. The bar was so high mm-hmm. <laughs> for how bad I thought it was going to be. That the bar was so low. Couldn't quite for how bad? Like... Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's right. That's right. The bar was so low. That's exactly um, why I wanted to watch this one. You you were and, and we did have a conversation about just dropping this film because you were really mm-hmm. on the fence about watching it, and, and I was like, you know, Bond is a significant part of British cinema. By the way, British Month. You know, we're continuing stuff like that. Um, However, I knew that this film is not 
what James Bond films will become. It's missing gadgety stuff. It's missing Q. It's mm-hmm. missing a few other things. Um, but it is the core of what a James Bond film is without some of the tropey stuff that it always has to do. In the same, like the early Star Wars films, R2-D2 saves the day just because they have a character who can do useful things. They get him to save the day. By the time you get six, seven, eight, nine films in, and it's R2 has to save the day, and it always has to open on a planet and a ship, and it has to have people saying this specific line and so on, you're like, okay, get over it, because I want you to do something original at this stage. And that's kind of the same thing with James Bond stuff. Like, you know, they're a little rote at times, much as they have always tried to make them different. Once you've done 25 of them, you have a good idea of what's coming. But the first one does stuff differently because it doesn't yet have everything in place. So it's, it, it's right. it, yeah, I was expecting it to not meet your expectations, if that okay. makes any sort of sense. Yes, yes. Well, it didn't meet those expectations. So um, I the reasons I didn't enjoy the film have nothing to do with gender or racial politics. Okay. Although both of those things are things we need to talk about. Okay. Do you want to keep talking on why you didn't enjoy it? The why, why it's only I didn't hate it rather than, oh, this was great. This was a thriller that kept me wrapped to the screen with all of the action that happens minute to minute to keep me engaged with this fast-paced and exciting film. <laughs> yeah, you know exactly what I'm going to say. This movie is boring. It's so boring. Like, nothing happens. They talk. <laughs> Dr. No squeezes a statue with his hands. <laughs> they talk some more. Oh, the movie's over. <laughs> like, nothing happens minute to minute. Like, it's so unnecessarily long. It has not aged well, if I'm being generous. That, this is the issue. Stuff happens. When I was, I was trying, we were probably halfway through, I was trying to look back on it going, why do I feel like nothing's happened? Because there's been a whole car chase sequence and there's been fights and things. They're just not very good by today's standards. They're right. really, really hokey. The effects are not good. The actual the actual action within it is not very action-y. Yeah, the fight, he throws someone over his shoulder, he punches another guy, they fall over, the fight's over. Oh, so. I was cracking up at the one fight with the, the chauffeur guy. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to be taking him one place and didn't. And t- before he did the cyanide capsule, mm-hmm. or cigarette or whatever like sean connery is like barely touching him but his reactions are like oh my god i just died it's hilarious i mean it's it's shatnerian is what we call it now isn't it it absolutely was it absolutely was but it wasn't just the acting though because like they had spritzed his face down so it looked like he was sweating and was really exerting himself in this fight against cool calm collected james bond Mm. But yeah, it was mostly, I had a hard time following nuances of the plot mm-hmm. because they didn't do a great job of tying things together. Like, I knew that Dr. No was doing something to divert missiles, American missiles, but I couldn't understand why. And then I didn't know how to tie that back into why James Bond was there and MI6 agents were dying. Mm. He was doing evil things for evil purposes and he's coded as evil because yeah. he's both yes. German and Chinese. <laughs> right. Thank you, Phil. So, yeah. And, and one of the things that I read, it said that he was trying to start a war between America and Russia. Right. I don't recall hearing that in the movie. It doesn't mean it wasn't there. I did zone out for a little bit. A little bit. I did. Mm-hmm. Um, there was so much talking. Yeah. It, it is a classic thriller. And there is something that, that we, certainly on the show and in general, the films that we go to, I think we are used to watching action films and dramas mm-hmm. that have more going on with them, where a, a thriller will always have a slightly more slower pace, truncated by moments of action, with plots and things going in and out, whereas a more action-y film is a more constant fish bash yeah. stuff. Yeah, and and this true. had very much the stuff of that. I did feel like okay, I've got to keep running to keep up with this film at times to to figure out who's double crossing whom and so on. Yeah, that was. They tried to be all clever, mm-hmm. and maybe it was clever for nineteen sixty two eight two. Yes, 
That's right. The book came out in 58. Yes. And the movie came out in 68. Absolutely. So it probably was exceedingly clever at that point. Mm. And, great. and the action probably was great. You know, women in skimpy clothes and, you know, James Bond being suave and beating people up. Just by today's standards, it's, you know, there's clearly nothing in those red stripe boxes. But thank you for putting a stack of red stripe boxes so we know that it's Jamaica. <laughs> Just in case we weren't <laughs> right. sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Love it. Yeah, that's that's my issue with it, that it is not holding up very well and then it does have some asides that are just so much of its time i don't mm-hmm. think there's any, any necessary intent in them it's just that's the way things have always been written but we do say we can call things out in the hope mm-hmm. that people learn from them in, in writing better and different things in the future however the other thing that sort of struck me and this was something that I had in the back of my mind if it works out it will be interesting to talk to you about there is this image of james bond in the tuxedo ordering the martini mm-hmm. shaken not stirred with, he doesn't say it in this movie. He doesn't, which is interesting. But but ex- exactly, some of these things that are the tropes that we associate with James Bond just as the character, let alone the films, it's mm-hmm. only a very small part of it. He's in the tuxedo at the beginning, and the rest of it, he's in a polo shirt. And, yeah. you know, or topless, or in just a gen- generic jacket type thing. Right. I'm interested by how much they've entered our consciousness that, that we always picture him you know, in the casino gambling and so on. But the films don't really do that. I couldn't speak to that because I haven't no, seen the but... others. Did, did um, it surprise you to image... see him not in the tuxedo or for it not to be focused around gambling, for instance? It, I think it did surprise me that he wasn't in the tuxedo the whole time, particularly mm-hmm. when he uh, does end up on the island and he's in like kind of the blue leisure outfit. Like that's very un-James Bond-like. <laughs> yeah, the matching blue trousers and shirt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, because when I think of James Bond, I think of Pierce Brosnan. Okay. And every photo I've ever seen of Pierce Brosnan as James Bond, he has worn a tuxedo. Right. Mm-hmm. Or a suit. With a tie. Yes. Um, so yes, it was surprising. Okay. Because I've just absorbed that through general pop culture osmosis. But not in a standout way. No, okay. it's just that's what James Bond is. Okay. So so you mentioned gender and racial politics. Yes. Should we cover them? There's a there's yes. a bit of chat to be had there. What did you pick up on? What did you notice? Um the first thing I noticed was actually miss taro 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 the lady villain taro let's go with taro i think it's miss taro um i didn't pick up on it until the scene after she had seduced him to keep him there and he wants to go to the restaurant and she says no let's stay in i can cook chinese food (laughs) yeah that's the moment i realized Mm -hmm. she's in yellow face yeah and like I, w- I was like, well, are they? Are they? Are they? Or aren't they? But then I looked at how they dressed her. Mm-hmm. She was d- very, absolutely wearing an Asian style dress, um, and I was a little bit floored by that until I realized that Doctor No is supposed to be half German, half Chinese, and he's played by a white dude mm-hmm. with some makeup on. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure they go quite as far as yellow face, but it is very much heavy eye makeup to imply a slantedness to the eyes for instance mm-hmm. and and you're right it's basically they might as well give her the sort of lacquer chinese screens around her flat and mm-hmm. it's almost i think watching it today to our eyes we'd watch it as someone where we go oh she's really into chinese culture yeah or, or you, she lived yeah. there for many years something along those lines in the same mm-hmm. way we have stuff around our house from places we've lived or things we're very into but actually what they're trying to do in these days is, oh, this is a Chinese character. And and to the extent all the women in Dr. No's lair base mm-hmm. thing were all, you know, very dark hair that's quite straight with the heavy eye makeup as well. Like, yeah, I think one of them might have actually been Asian, maybe. But at least one was yeah. the the um the one who took them to their rooms. Right. OK. I don't know that she had a name. Probably not. No. But. 
Um, I did find a quote from Zena Marshall, mm-hmm. who played Miss Miss Tarot, okay. and she she spoke about it. That said, she was asked to play not as Chinese, but a mid Atlantic woman who men dream about, but is not real. Mid Atlantic. Mid Atlantic. Mid Atlantic. That's like Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. <laughs> So, we, do you think she meant mid-Pacific but picked the wrong ocean? I don't know. <laughs> because I, but if you if you look at her, her mannerisms mm. are fairly generic. Mm-hmm. Everything about her that's coded to be Chinese are in her lines, her dialogue, and props. Yeah. Not necessarily how she played the role. No, that is very she fair. She played the role as that fantastical mm woman who is perfect Re- until she spits in his face but you know. Re- remind me have you seen breakfast at tiffany's no okay we haven't watched it for the podcast have we no because no. i haven't seen it i saw it on a list the other day i'm like i feel like that's a film we've either talked about or seen or something there is a character in that played by mickey rooney so a famous american comic mm. who is chinese and he plays him with the you know, slanted eyes, makeup, and teeth coming out, and then with the accent and so on. Oh. It, it is it is horrendous. You're like, oh, do we have to do this? But yeah, yeah, they don't do that, and that's why there's just this step of, is it just he really likes Chinese culture, and that's why you know Bond has a Chinese jacket, for instance, or an Asian Asian inspired jacket, you would say, um, mm. in his wardrobe, or is it that he is? I think they're, they're towing the line of decency. I mean, in the book, he absolutely was. And he said, Dr. Doctor no said it. Oh, yeah. He said he was half German, half mm. Chinese. Um, but but they don't and... go to a stereotypical offensive side of it. Like I say, it's, it's, it's on the cusp of, this could get a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not sure I'd like this, but mm-hmm. they stay the right side of the line. I think. I think. I mean... I feel like the right side of the line would have been to actually hire Chinese people to play the Chinese role. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you're right. It wasn't as offensive as it could have been. Yes. So, you know, give them five points. Five points is to <laughs> half a buff. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there there were some other racial yeah. things as well. Um, like Bond telling Coral to fetch his shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I picked up on the photographer called Coral an ape. Oh God, I, I, I missed um, that, but okay. And just his the way he spoke, very subservient mm-hmm. to um, both of the agents, the, the yeah. lighter, mm-hmm. the CIA Light guy, mm-hmm. and and Bond. Um, so it it was definitely kind of coded in a these rich white men are better than the natives. Mm-hmm. Mm. And th- to the island. And that's the really weird thing of it being Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know why it needed to be set in Jamaica. But I, I, My head canon is because that's where they were filming. But it would have made so much sense if this was random Pacific Island. Was it Jamaica in the book? Oh, I had no idea. I, I have read some of them. It's been a very long time since I read any of them, so I have no idea if I even read this or not. Um, but because they definitely filmed in Jamaica, I'd kind of get it. It would be easier just to set it in Jamaica, but it just feels so strange for this person who runs a Chinese crime syndicate to set up his base in Jamaica. Mm. Although, although that in itself is a James Bond trope, of course, of having the villain's base be some island in the Pacific. Okay. When we think of things like The Incredibles, spoofing it a little bit. Right. Mm. Or Austin Powers. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I did find it interesting, not, not to talk about tropes or politics anymore, but this movie, the first movie of the James Bond franchise is actually the sixth book mm. of the James Bond series. Mm-hmm. That's curious. Yeah, there was a comment about they didn't do... Uh, Thunderball was the one they wanted to produce, but there was a legal dispute between mm-hmm. Fleming, the author, and the screenplay's author. 
because I think they had been adapting them as they were coming out and planning to make them. Um, I think there was a thing that certainly Casino Royale is a little bit difficult to translate because it is fairly dry. You know, it's easy to write mm. tension in a book around card games. Difficult to translate on screen. Until you hire Daniel Craig to do Until it. Until you hire Daniel Craig. And there, there is an early version of, of Casino Royale as well. Um, mm. A sort of vaguely spoofy spin-off. But, but they then introduce other elements into that to try to make it a little bit more gritty and gripping. Mm-hmm. Mm. But this is this is uh, let's get into the thing of James Bond. Then there's no timeline really. He is timeless as a character. There's no these are not set in any specific time period. Obviously they are because of when they're right. made. You have that aspect, but it's mm-hmm. just British spy defeating international evil. And I assume there's not much continuity between them, like. Do they ever reference things that happened before or do other characters come up later? Maybe in sort of meta jokes or something like that. Mm. To be fair, the Daniel Craig ones do have a continuity between them. Um, Events one do impact others. And chances are some of the... There are 25 films, so chances are some of them do that. Mm. But I don't know. Because I haven't seen most... I I have seen most of them, if not all of them. I haven't paid that much attention to them. (laughs) It was like you... Because obviously we're similar ages. Um, Pierce Brosnan is my Bond. It's the Bond that was at the cinema when I could choose to go to the cinema. Mm-hmm. So, so I went to see Goldeneye and Die Another Day and his other films at the cinema. I did not. I cannot remember them though. I can remember Goldeneye because it has Alan Cumming doing the cool thing with the pen that I do mimic. And I have had people say like, <laughs> hey, that's like from that James Bond film. Like, yes, I know it is. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, no, the only James Bond movie I've ever seen besides this one is Casino Royale, right. the Daniel Craig okay. one. So, just very different. Mm. Yeah, that's a proper thriller. Yes, mm. much more action. And Daniel Craig plays James Bond significantly differently than Sean Connery does. Uh, yeah, th- this is one of the things of them. So, let's talk the sort of sensibility of the film, because... Okay. I think this film tries to be a lot more fun. And certainly reading some of the critical reception of it, I think it confused Mm -hmm. everyone of whether, is this a spy spoof or is it Mm. a fun film? I read somewhere that they injected a lot of humor into it to get things past the censors and to like not have it be so super dark. So it, I mean, it was intentional, but it wasn't a spoof. Okay. Clear, obviously. No, absolutely. So what did you make of it? Did you expect this level of humor to it? I don't actually remember laughing. <laughs> so... <laughs> There's a difference between laughing and humor. <laughs> I mean, what what kind of... I mean, okay, anyway, there was one line that was really, really great, but that I did actually laugh out loud okay. at, but that's my favorite moment, so we're, okay. we'll come back to that one. Um. I don't know. Give me some examples of what you're calling out as humor. Oh, you can't either. <laughs> I'm not the one who makes so then... notes. No. Um... <laughs> okay. He tries to sneak off with his preferred gun. When when they're trying to give him the water PPK mm. and they're saying... Okay, that's true. Hey, the water PPK is the better gun. And, and again, that's a trope. The fact that the water PPK is the gun he, James Bond uses. It's, mm. you know, his gun in inverted commas, but the fact he tries to take it away and then he leaves it there. Some of the sort of flirtiness with all the different women is supposed to be fun, funny, in some of the slightly sly comments. Um, The fact she... He did say about the dead guy, make sure he doesn't get away. Yes. That was funny. Yeah, absolutely. That might have been one of the moments I laughed. The fact she's called Honey Rider and, uh, you know, the Bond girl with a silly name is also a trope. And he raises his eyebrows and she goes, what? He's like, nothing. Wasn't laughing. <laughs> she knows. She's called Honey Rider. She knows. <laughs> okay, so humour in general didn't stand out to you. No. Having seen Daniel Craig and knowing about Pierce Brosnan, and presumably knowing something about some of the other Bonds, just that there have been other Bonds. I could not name another Bond besides these three. Do you have 
any thoughts on Sean Connery's performance and casting and so on? I was surprised because this is not the Sean Connery that I am familiar with. Hmm. What are you familiar with? I wouldn't have recognized him. I don't know. Old and gray hair and with a very overly pronounced accent. I mean, we've seen him in Indiana Jones. Yes. So is that the sort of thing you're thinking? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, he was in Finding Forrester mm-hmm. um, with Forrest Whitaker, and I, I'm sure I've seen him. He was in The Rock. We yes, the Rock. he was. Was. Yes. He I was will in admit, I've expunged The Rock from my memory after you made me watch that film. <laughs> <laughs> but but my point being, to me, Sean Connery is the older, distinguished gentleman okay. with gray hair, facial hair. And a very distinguished way of speaking, mm-hmm. unique way of speaking. Mm-hmm. And the Sean Connery who plays James Bond has not achieved that yet. Right. He's very young. I would not have recognized him if I didn't know it was him. Um, he didn't sound like Sean Connery to me. There were a few instances where I could hear it on certain words. Okay. I could hear that. I don't even know what you call it. It's not a lisp, but it's it's an affect yeah. that he has when yeah. he speaks. And I can only assume now that he has cultivated that over time. Uh, I would expect so, yes. <laughs> um, but I expected to like be able to instantly identify him. Um, taking away the fact that it's Sean Connery, I thought he was perfectly fine in the role. I mean, I don't have any complaints about him <laughs> okay. in the role. But also, Given it's the only thing I've ever seen young Sean Connery right. do. Right, but also nothing stood out about it. There was nothing... No, okay. nothing stood out. He was... Um, I saw somewhere that, like, Cary Grant had been up to play the role. Oof, and oof. Nah, nah. To me, he it's the same kind of dude. Yeah. Hello, my name is right. Bond. It's James Bond, and I'm Cary Grant. How do you do? No, 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 no. Um, I'll tell you, it's the way you're describing it, and the way that I'm thinking about it, it makes me think of Al Pacino in The Godfather. Because he looks and feels like a mm. different actor to Al Pacino in The Devil's Advocate. Yes. For instance, yes. which is, and that is Al Pacino doing Al Pacino in Al Pacino things. Um, yes. The Godfather performance, however, very different. Yes, but the Godfather performance is the one that I love the mm, most. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I feel like Sean Connery was generic in this in this one. Okay. Now I know he did four other films mm. and maybe he came into the role and really like owned James Bond mm-hmm. at some point. Like I feel like he had to have for him to be James Bond to so many people. I think is he the most James Bond there has been of James Bonds. I think maybe he's tied with Roger Moore or something on those lines. Mm. Mm. But yes, he was very successful yeah, and he's very good in the part. And part of the point was they cast him because he was fairly young. So I think he was early mm-hmm. 30s when he did this. So yes, there was a hope. Oh, we could have him do it for 20 years. Yeah, um, he committed to five right. oh, okay. when they signed him on. And that's why, the, who it was it may have been Cary Grant or somebody else. George Lazenby. Um, that they wanted, mm. turned it down because okay, he didn't yeah, want yeah. to do. Yes, because after the five, one. George Lazenby does one. Sean Connery comes back and then it goes to Roger Moore. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, and then Timothy Dalton. So you've not seen a Timothy Dalton thing? Okay. No. I'm not even sure I know who that is. Okay. So, are there other aspects of the film we want to touch on? We haven't touched on the gender stuff yet. Actually, we we mentioned there were things to talk Mm -hmm. about with the Bond women, Mm -hmm. the Bond girls, but we haven't. Um, And I I did say I was surprised it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Okay. Um, I actually found Sylvia Trench, the first woman Mm -hmm. we're introduced to. Mm -hmm. I love her. I mean, she has she has a name. She has agency. She is in charge of her own sexuality. Like, she goes after Bond. Bond doesn't go after her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she seduces him and makes him late to Jamaica, right? Yep. 
Like, I appreciated that about her. Like, that's our introduction to women in the James Bond world. I'm okay with that. Okay. Um, the next woman we see is Money Penny. I like her too. Yes, Money Penny is a terrific character. I can't remember if they ever sort of break the character and make her more fawning. But my thought mm. of her is she is able to keep her distance from Bond whilst also maintaining the sort of flirtiness. Right. Mm. Like she flirts with him because she knows it, that's all it's ever going to be. Yeah. Like she puts him in his place and he just, you know, it's, mm. it was it was nice. I guess not what you expect. Absolutely. And then, and then we get to Miss Taro mm. is I'm on the fence because even with her character, she is the one who seduces him. She chooses to have sex with him to keep him there so that the plans with Dr. No can happen right? or whatever. Right. Like she chooses to do that, but at the same time, felt icky yeah the, he has a sort of assumption he's gonna sleep with her and then just does yeah and, uh. like when she goes to answer the phone he pulls the towel off of her and then he smells it <laughs> that's mm. why um so i'm i'm kind of on the fence about that but i appreciate that she made her own choices yeah and she wasn't there to motivate him to further the plot okay she was motivating her own plot yeah yeah she because she's working for dr no and and there is a story where it's about dr no's fall or rise to power mm-hmm. or something and she's but yes yeah hmm. Hmm. yeah hmm. um but then we get to honey yeah so this is the bond girl of this one and and it's a little bit interesting you listing them all because in my head the trope is and we'll go back to talking on tropes again that there are two Bond girls in every film. The good one and the mm. bad one. Something along, along oh, those really? lines. Um, not, uh, and I, I think, I would assume, again, not being able to remember Bond films in general, um, that they write it a little bit more cleverly than that. But certainly the ones I can remember seeing, again, of like the Pierce Brosnan era, are you've got Halle Berry and Rosamund Pike. And you've got, um, who was it, Denise Richards and someone else. And... Hmm. Michelle Yeo's in one with someone. Yeah, there's always two women. Mm-hmm. And he sleeps okay. with at least one, if not both of them. But then there is all, always Money Penny. We've listed Money Penny as well. And then there's another woman that he flirts with. So so maybe it's supposed to be in this one what we, you know, if we're, this is one of the things that sets up the trope. You've got Miss Tarot and you've got Honey, Honey Rider. Mm-hmm. So that establishes it. But they're very different characters. Because you're talking about them having agency, them having their own story, them getting to do their own stuff. Honey Rider is, I think, of her mostly just being pulled by the wrist through the film. So I was looking at the at the plot in the book, and in the book, apparently, she had her own thing going. Like, she was a strong, capable woman in the book. Okay. And they just took all of that away in the movie. And that frustrates me Mm. a lot and then the depth of character that we get about her is that after her father died she was raped Mm -hmm. and she killed the dude Mm -hmm. which james kind of minimizes (laughs) maybe let's not do that again kind of and then it's implied that the guards sexually assaulted her before they chained her up to that rock. Yeah, because there's a thing of, I'm sure the guards will have fun with her. The The guards will amuse her, and then she miraculously didn't have pants on anymore. True. Yeah, so it's... And so it's, it's casual sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And right after she's assaulted, James Bond is all over her and she's fine with it. Yeah. Like, that's that's the thing that I struggle with the most in this movie that I have a problem with. Right. Because I'm, I'm, we don't see it happen. The, the the comment about it, I'm sure the guys will have fun. It, I think is one of those insults designed to get a rise out of Bond, which it does. Mm-hmm. And I also know from reading about it what what we were supposed to see was a scene where she's chained up and there's lots of crabs snipping at her and kind of torturing her. Right. Did yeah. you read this thing? 
I did. Yeah, and the crabs were shipped frozen. So when they unpacked them, they didn't move. So they had to come up with another way. And they're like, what if we say she's drowning? Yeah. So. So she's still just chained to her rock. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, she had no purpose Mm. other than. And honestly, she didn't even. She didn't even motivate Bond. Like, she wasn't there to drive Bond to do something. Mm -hmm. Like, she was just a side piece that he happened to, like, after he saved the world, then he goes and finds her so they can get off the island, Mm -hmm. right? Like, he stops Dr. No, and then he goes and finds her. It's... She wasn't even written as a good plot device. No. She's she's going over there to get the shells because she can make huge amounts of shell... Huge amounts of money off tourists for the shells. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if we're talking racial politics, I don't think it's someone like who looks like Ursula Andress who is going to get the shells to sell them to tourists. Mm-hmm. Right. But f- fine, that's the character they've put in there, and it just it seems so sloppy that she's doing this in such a dangerous thing and thinks there's a dragon there and is still going. Oh, I'm not sure I believe that. And we're just supposed to ignore that this stuff is weird and that she's then just there? Yeah. She's pretty and in a bikini. She's pretty and in a bikini and then not in a bikini for a bit and then back in a bikini. Because there's the weird sequence where she's suddenly not in a bikini. When they're all washing. She is about... She... I'm going to make sure I get this right. Bond is topless... (laughs) She is still in the shirt, but no bikini under it. And Quarrel still has his red shirt on, but he's completely dry. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when you're watching this thing, you think, I need to rewind this to make sure I see exactly what I'm seeing. I missed that. They've got the girl with no top on, but a shirt that's wet over the top of it. Bond is Mm -hmm. shirtless. Quarrel's in his shirt, but it clearly hasn't been in the wall. (laughs) Okay. Brilliant. I'm saying brilliant sarcastically, just in case that didn't come across. <laughs> no, that came across. That that did come across. Um, yeah, but you know, overall, I would say if those are the only issues that we have with the women, given there are four women mm-hmm. who are all named, mm-hmm. the photographer's not named. No, and the receptionist type people and the the evil lair receptionists are not named. Right, they're not named. Um, but. They wouldn't necessarily be. I wouldn't expect them to be. Mm. The photographer, maybe. Mm. Um, the other ones, I would expect them to just be extras and yeah. not to have like extra number two or whatever. Mm. So all of that to say, it was not nearly as misogynistic as I was expecting it to be. Okay. Like I expected, I. I don't know. Like every woman that we come across to fawn at James Bond's feet. <sighs> Possibly. So so this is the thing I think the film does do quite well. Remembering that this is the first... It's really hard to come to this as the first in the series without all the baggage we have about what James Bond is. Right. That we've seen spoofed in... I'm pretty sure there is a Muppet Babies episode about James... Like a James Bond spoof. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, oh, we sure have seen is. this sort of thing done time and time again. Um, but in the film, they do a very good job of... He's in the tuxedo, he's winning at cards, he's smooth. Uh, this is the thing from that um, What Women Want film. Women want to be with him and men want to be him. This mm-hmm. is that character. Yes. This is that man's man sort of character. He's just yes. in control, on top of situations. He gets arrives at the airport, he figures out that you know they're possibly trying to abduct him, so he does a thing to figure out what's going on, and then to he knows it's a trap, so he springs the trap so he can make the most of it, this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That's great. And part of the reason that's done so well is they give him these women who are his equals. It's not mm-hmm. just he's good-looking, so women are fawning over him. It's... It, it, there's actually back and forth, give and take with the, the dialogue between them. And then when he goes and sees mm-hmm. M, his boss, his boss knows more than him. His boss is able to talk down to him. So you see that he's still, you know, a person having to go and do a thing and, and work within the system. And mm-hmm. and when, you know, his boss knows that he's trying to take the gun, so he has to give the gun back. And when Bond leaves the room, the boss comes on the intercom and says, let's dispense with the usual, usual pleasantry. 
<laughs> and just send Bond on his way and so on. You know, they're setting up that Bond is really good and works in a system that is excellent. You right. know, so so any enemy of this has to be very good as well. This is not just going to be a generic bad guy sort of plot. And I think they do that really well because we don't we don't hear of Doctor No for like half an hour. We don't see Doctor No for most of the film. They do set him up as this is going to be a significant villain, and and he says, "I want to talk to you, Bond, because you are effectively my equal. You are the person that I thought could understand what I'm doing here that I wanted to relish mm-hmm. sharing it with." Right. I feel that becomes a trope. You know, the the we're equals and two sides of the same coin, and I now have to tell of you my course. secret plan. Ah. <laughs> but but yeah. for the first film, the whole thing is done very well. Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit dull as you go through it. <laughs> it was a little bit dull. I did read another article today mm-hmm. that someone had written kind of about the evolution of the Bond girl. Okay. Talking about how over time you go from the innocence of Honey Rider mm-hmm. that we have in the first one to much later on the women are like scientists or... Yes, Much that is the role they are playing. They are scientists, yes. Denise Richards I... as Dr. Christmas Jones. <laughs> Her name is Christmas Jones? Seriously? Yes, and he does make a joke about how many times Christmas arrives during the film. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. yes, the Pierce Brosnan ones are not high points in this series. And it's Denise Richards <laughs> as... You know, Denise Richards is great. She has done some good roles and she's interesting stuff. As the feisty scientist who's about to destroy the world with the weapon she's made. Not sure I buy that one. Sorry, Denise. <laughs> all right. All right. Keep in mind, I haven't seen these, so I was just going by what I was reading, Yeah, yeah. But it indicated that over time, the, the Bond girl has evolved. Yes, I, th- I think what the, the that point of what you're saying is they become integral to the plot. Mm, They're actually more part of it. And it's not just, oh, there's a, and there's a woman there that I have to rescue and save. It's, I have to work with her and have a bit of sex on the way. (laughs) And eventually there are women who can hold their own against him and Mm -hmm. fights Mm -hmm. and things like that. Well, that's why you cast Michelle Yeoh in a film, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. I kind of really want to see that one. I can't remember it, to be honest. Which one was that? Tomorrow Never Dies, maybe? He says, looking. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Colonel Wei Lin, skilled Chinese spy. Oh, and Terry Hatcher was the other one in that. Terry Hatcher? Terry Hatcher was a Bond was girl. In... Amazing. Lois Lane was a Bond girl. All right. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> All right. Did you have any favorite moments from this one? Yes. I mean, well, we, we can talk on, you know, some of the setup is very good, but specific moments, things that we commented on as we went on. There is one thing that my dad has always laughed about on this film and my, and my dad is not a fan of Bond films either but he pointed it out and I can't help but see it when I see it the spider when Bond crushes the spider with his shoe the instrumentation goes in the beats of him smashing his shoe to the floor It's mm-hmm. blasts of the orchestra as he does this. Bam! Bam! Oh, yeah. Bam! <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. you got to destroy that thing. That's, and it's... that's the sort of thing that puts it more into spoof territory. It feels like something out of the naked gun more than it feels like something out of James mm. Bond. <laughs> I was surprised that he was as scared of the tarantula as he was. Mm-hmm. But I guess it was supposed to be... <gasps> Deadly spider. A, a deadly spider. Yeah, yeah. And frankly, that's um, a big spider. That's, you know, that could oh have taken the God. shoe off him and hit him over the head with it. So, yes. <laughs> um, I found the, the special effects for how they did the spider interesting <laughs> right. because it was clear that it was not on his face. Yeah. It was on a screen. Yes. But that thing was as big as his head. Yeah, to the extent you can actually see the glass screen pressing down on his arm, you can see it's pressed up against mm-hmm. it. But. You know, it's not bad for the time. It's actually there at least. No, no, no. It's not bad at all. It's just I, I could, I noticed, yes, and yeah. I was actually curious how they were like. Why were they doing that when it was clear that it was on someone's arm when they mm. went back and forth? 
um, which was a stuntman mm-hmm. who apparently was also terrified of the tarantula. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> that but too. apparently Sean Connery was mortally terrified, so. Uh, yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. I... Ugh. It was awful. Yeah, I did get to that bit. So, so dear listener, you you might like this. I, I realized, I, I think I'd forgotten that there was this big spider sequence in the middle. So I did send Manny a message being like, there might be a trigger warning need here. <laughs> and if you want to skip it, we can skip it. But you were brave. It, it wasn't as bad as it could okay. have been. It didn't jump. Right. If it had jumped, we would have had problems. But it didn't jump. Okay. It just crawled. It was fine. Right. Crawled very slowly. I mean, it was not a fast moving spider at all uh, and the other thing this is something that my wife pointed out at, repeatedly as we're watching it how good ursula andrus's waterproof makeup is it's mm-hmm. really impressive because it does not move the entire film <laughs> i mean i'm sure that you know the magic of film it, it was not the same makeup the entire film no i believe what i saw Oh, okay. and okay. it was it was really good she's really good at applying it on her little boat as she heads over to her little island <laughs> yeah i i will admit i couldn't find particular lines or moments i liked the moment with the gun that's quite nice um but by and large mm-hmm. it it feels very ordinary to to modern sensibilities yeah. yeah how about you though what did you like there was one line that was laugh out loud funny for me and it was when uh james bond finally gets to sit down and have dinner with dr no mm-hmm. And he's learning about his plans. And he asks him straight up, does the toppling of American missiles really compensate for having no hands? <laughs> Come on, that's a yeah. good, funny line. And that feels like a really good thing, you know, that he will talk back to the evil boss. Mm-hmm. As well as, you know, trying to take him down. It will be, I'm not actually that intimidated by you. Right, mm. exactly. Mm. Yep. That's yep. it. Yep. <laughs> I, I gave this a six. And I, I felt like I was actually being a little bit more generous than perhaps I should be. Because I can see that it's not, exactly as you said, it's not as bad as it could have been. And my thoughts on James Bond films are. And at the same time, I can see it's setting up a franchise. You, you can, watching this, you can go, yes, I want to see another film with this guy in it. With this character. Yes. Th- this could be mm-hmm. an interesting thing. And, you know, 60 years later... 25 films later it has been one of the world's most successful franchises so fair Mm -hmm. enough but how about you as a overall thing rating it and thinking about this as a franchise you know initially my thought was six was low but i would have gone higher okay but talking to you i think that's only because my the bar was so low Right. <laughs> and it exceeded the bar okay. that I was thinking, oh, it's so much better. But really, a six is probably about right. Right. Okay. Um, but the bar was at like a two. So yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, we've got, you know, 24 more to go. So we need to start working through them. No. no. Yeah, no. I have no interest in revisiting. Certainly not revisiting old James Bond films. Maybe if people say to us. But you have to go and watch Moonraker, Man with a Golden Gun. Some of the perceived high points of the series. Maybe, maybe, but... Mm. Maybe. Mm, I'm not sure on that. Yeah. Okay, so what's next? I have no idea what's okay. next. How about you... This you, is British Movie Month. How, how about we say the what's next question, you ask me the what's next question. Or I could just say, I have no idea, and you tell okay. me. <laughs> Good. That's one way of doing it. Next, we are watching Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. I don't even know what this movie is about. Okay. I don't know anything about it. I know I've heard the phrase Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, mm-hmm. but I don't. I know nothing. Is it a, is it a Western? It kind of sounds like a Western. Okay. It's British it's month, Western, it? but it's a Western. <laughs> it's very prim and proper, guys. <laughs> hey, you stinking varmint, please get out of my town. This town oh is not big enough for the two of us. All right, all right, fair enough. <laughs> um, I will admit there was a comment of, does Mandy need to watch that film with subtitles on? So you don't have to turn subtitles on, but do keep it in consideration. You might well want to. <laughs> I watch everything with subtitles Okay, now. well, there we go. So you'll be all right. 
Um, we let's try and have a conversation on accents in there. Oh God, I'm scared now. Well, I okay. it's been a, such a long time since I saw this, but I think it is a. You know, it marks a bit of a change in British cinema. So let's let's watch it and talk about it. Good. Okay. So so now at this point, we'd normally say, hey, let us know your thoughts on what Bond film we should watch next or your thoughts on Dr. No or some issue that we've talked about during the thing. But you might have noticed we've done things a little bit different today than normal. We're mixing up the way we record. We... Uh, I've dropped some of our regular segments and integrated them a little bit more throughout the piece so we can just get straight into conversation. So let us know what you think of the changes. Let us know if you prefer the high energy coming in with just a straight discussion. Did you like the film or not? You can hit us up on Mandy. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. Or you can send an email to podcast at eloquentgushing.com. Or if you're really feeling fun... You could send a voice message to speakpipe.com slash eloquent gushing. I love what your accent did there. If you're feeling fun, that was brilliant. That was some of the most... No, no, and I mean that in genuine because people do say to me, friends that I recommend the show to, I'm like, oh, I record a podcast. Maybe you want to check it out, this sort of thing. And people come back, they're like, I love Mandy's accent. It's so much fun. (laughs) In a nice way. It's not, you know. (laughs) I know, no, no, I, I totally get it because... Over here, you have the accent, right. and okay. so it makes sense that over there, I have the accent. You know, I, I get it. So if you're feeling fun, <sighs> y'all. If you're feeling fun, y'all come back now. You Bless hear? your heart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have another line. That's new. Um, I am Mandy Kay, and you can find me on Twitter, at Mandy Kay. And I'm, uh, and I'm Matthew Vose, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm Matthew Vose. I'm on Twitter at Matthew Vose. Pop Country Deprived is, as ever, as we always say, 100% funded by our lovely listeners like you through Patreon. Anything you can give, even if it's just $1 a month, it gives you access to exclusive content, bonus shows, extra shows, physical merch. We send nice things out to you. And you help to support the network. And you help us develop these shows. So if you want to find out more, you can visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And we will be back next week with another episode where we are apparently going to talk about lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. Until then, I'm Mandy Kay. And you've had your six. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.